It's been an amazing, amazing series, I think, and just to see highlight videos and testimonies and to walk in in the middle of a time of singing like that and to join in, it's just an amazing time together. And if you are new to the church or this church today, what a fantastic day you've chosen to come. Um, But I just want to summarize for you what we've done so far in terms of this series and why we're finishing it the way we are, because we've been doing, this is the seventh week of seven, we've been doing this and looking at God's heart for for diversity and the fact that that's not a modern fad, something that we're into because we live here, but it's something that God has always been into thousands of years before we were. And we've talked about our history as a church and the history of the church across time from Abraham onwards. And we've looked at first century stories of diversity in the book of Acts and 21st 21st century stories of diversity in London. And we've talked about issues like trust and reconciliation and acceptance and integration. And we've eaten together and prayed together and got in groups together and gone through biblical devotionals together. And it's been a wonderful series that I trust has helped you as much as it's helped me. But, but... My message this morning is, we have only just started. This is just the beginning. This is a step as part of God's global plan for diversity that is way greater than ours. And actually, God's heart for diversity includes a diverse church that's thriving and growing in South London, but is far larger than it. His vision for diversity is just bigger than ours. It's bigger than mine. It's bigger than yours. Because it's beautiful to have a church that reflects some of the range and diversity of the area we're in. It's beautiful, and it will become more beautiful as we increasingly learn how to see the diversity of the church expressed in our relationship, and in our leadership, and in our worship, and so on. That, that's, the church is beautiful and will become more so. But God's passion for diversity is way bigger than this church. It's way bigger than what we are doing here. His passion for diversity goes well beyond a large multi-ethnic church in South London. And I say that for two main reasons, although there might be others. One of them is that for a lot of people in London, the thing that makes them feel like they wouldn't be invited to God's table is not race or ethnicity. It's something else. So for a lot of people who live around here, they might not be thinking, oh, I'm not invited to God's table because I'm black or I'm white. They might be thinking, I'm not invited to God's table because of my education or because of my sexuality. I might, I'm not welcome at God's table because I'm gay or because I'm a Muslim or because I'm blind or because it could be any number of things. I'm working class or I'm autistic or I'm single or I'm old or something that makes me feel like I wouldn't be welcome. So actually, it's not simply a question of the, the culture. Well, most of our focus in this series has, of course, been on the ethnic dimension, but those th- that just simply serves as a, a lens through which to look at material that for many people might include other things as well. So that's one sense in which God's vision for diversity is bigger. But there's another sense, and that sense is the one we're going to focus on this morning. There is another sense in which God's passion for diversity is bigger and richer and deeper than ours. And we're going to see it from Revelation chapter 7. Revelation 7. So if you have a Bible and can turn there, we're going to be in Revelation 7 a bit. But while you're turning there, I need to issue a warning to you, particularly if you're new to church or new to Christianity or to the Bible. This is a very weird text to modern ears. In the ancient world, this was actually a kind of writing they used. It's called apocalyptic. And it's a style of literature that they were familiar with, but the chances are we aren't. 
So when we read it, we will think, this, this guy sounds like he's high. It's a very, very strange... To, to us, it's very strange. So I'll try and explain what's going on, but it will feel a little odd if you're new to the Bible or new to Christianity. So this is what John, the Apostle John, who is in many ways Jesus' closest friend as an old man, is having a vision on a, a Turkish island or Greek island, and he's seeing something that will spook us but will also challenge us to see how God's heart for diversity is bigger than ours. Revelation 7 verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And the seal, just to, I know I said things are weird, but that means like a stamp, not like I'm... Just to clarify, because I said it was weird and trippy. You might have thought that he was like waving around an aquatic mammal, and don't worry, that's not what's happening. A seal, like a stamp. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed. 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher. 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali. 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh. 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon. 12,000 from the tribe of Levi. 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar. 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun. 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph. 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. That's the 12 tribes of Israel and represents the range and diversity of the people that John saw. God was saying, I am owning and securing these people. After this, I looked. Until this point, he's only heard. It's just, I heard this. Now it says, after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing round the throne and round the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This passage makes some people very excited and some people very confused, so it's worth just explaining what is going on here. I'm going to just say the chapter's in three chunks. And we'll quickly summarize what they're doing and see how, when taken together, they show us that God's heart for diversity is even bigger than ours. Right? 
The chapter is in three chunks. In verses 1 to 8, John hears something. He hears a string of announcements coming, a loud voice saying, and here are all these people who are being sealed. And then he lists 12,000 from each of these 12 tribes, making 144,000. That's chunk one. It's all about sealing. It's all about the fact that the people of God have been sealed by God. Now, sealing in the ancient world you did for two main reasons. You did it to protect something, and you did it to identify something as yours. It was a stamp of ownership and a stamp of protection. You'd do that with a letter, for instance. Now, these days we don't really do that so much, although kind of a little bit with an envelope. But my mum does it with marmalade. My mum makes fantastic marmalade, and when she's made marmalade, she puts the seal on it, and she's one of those people who will put a careful foil and a kiln a jar with like this little bits of rubber bandy things around it, and then put on the... So it's properly sealed. Woe betide you if you break into the mar- my mother's marmalade before it's time. So there's a sealing, a preservation going on, but she then also puts on a little sticker on the top because she's a bit of a nerd, and so she writes on it something like, Three Fruit Marmalade, 12th of January 2015, or Seville Orange Marmalade, 13th of February 2017. She does that kind of thing. So there is a moment of a, a sealing both of preservation, guarding it in making sure it doesn't go off, and a seal of ownership. This is mine, and this is when I got it, and this is when I made it. God is doing that with his people in this picture. God is saying, this person is mine. I bought them on this day. They became part of my people in this this way. And as a result of that, I am protecting them through what's about to happen. That's what's going on here. Now, the 144,000 that are included just needs us to think. Some people say, oh, that's uh, special Christians, like super godly Christians. That's Phil Varley, right? Wonderful. Most of us are not there. We're in the big crowd that no one ever knows their names, whereas some Christians are in the uber group. And some people think, no, it's not actually super Christians. Some people say, that's Jews. And other people would say, no, it's not. It's Jehovah's Witnesses. But there's a load of different ways of reading the 144,000. But actually, the text tells us who they are. The text in verse 3 says, this is the full number of the servants of our God. In other words, it's people who love God. And what it is, is a Jewish Christian symbolic way of saying everybody from every tribe. Because Israel had 12 tribes, so you picture the full range of the people of God as being 12 tribes, as in all of them, with this massive number of people. So John hears that, but he hasn't yet seen anything. He's heard 12,000 from this, 12,000 from that. All the tribes have been listed and a massive multitude from all tribes has been announced. And then he looks And he looks and he sees a great multitude that no one could number from every tribe and people and tongue and nation. And when we say nation, it's wonderful having all these flags up in the room, isn't it? So it's lovely as a statement. But bear in mind, there are a lot more nations than there are flags. Because nations in the Bible doesn't mean nation states, as in you have to be recognized by the UN to have a flag. That's not what's happening at all. There are tens of thousands of people groups of families of clans of tribes who say my identity isn't really that nation state this is my identity this is my people and it might be much smaller than a nation state but it's still included in this vision every people and so he looks and he sees this incredibly huge multitude that no one could ever count and it's crucial for us to understand that the thing he's heard about and the thing he's seen are the same group right because sometimes people say no 144,000 special ones everyone else. That's not what John's doing. John is saying, I heard, and then I looked, and I saw it. 
He does exactly the same thing, if you know Revelation, two chapters earlier in Revelation 5 about Jesus. I heard, weep no more, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. Then I looked and I saw a lamb looking as though it's been slain. The lamb and the lion are the same person, right? And the same is happening here. I heard, wow, there's 12,000 from every one of these tribes making 144,000. And then I looked and I saw it was from every tribe. It wasn't just the Jews. It wasn't just people who have been reached at this point in the story. It was every nation on earth, every family and tribe and clan, all there worshipping Jesus and saying, he's our God. Not just their God, ours. That's the vision. He's seen a massive, multi-ethnic multitude from every single people group on earth. And then finally, in verses 13 to 17, in the third chunk, an elder explains, these are the people who have come through trials and suffering. They've come through the tribulation, the challenges and the pains and the heartache of this world. They have made it because God protected them. And now they will experience no thirst, no hunger, No exposure, no frustration or sadness, but the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shelter and their shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of living water. Every desire they have will be satisfied. Everything they've ever been in need of will be there in abundance, and they will have nothing but joy forever and ever. That's the vision of the diversity of the people of God. You have this massive multitude from every single tribe, pictured both through hearing and seeing, and they together will inherit a new creation in which there is no such thing as pain anymore, and everybody receives everlasting joy with King Jesus as their shepherd. That's, the, that's where world history is going. They will be fed and watered and sheltered together by God. Everyone, everyone is invited from every tribe. It's a beautiful picture of the future, and it shows us, I think, that God's vision for diversity is bigger and richer than ours. As great as, great as I hope ours is, God's is bigger. God's desire is for a, peop- a church that touches every single people group on earth. And actually, if you go back to the start of this series, that's been there from the beginning. So both Steve and I, in our messages, touched on Abraham and Abraham's c- promise that he would become a father of many nations. So what you have... And the beginning of the book of Genesis in chapters 10 and 11 is you have all of these nations on earth. They're all of, if you like, you might say now in different colors. But they gather together and they want to build a tower with its top in the heavens. And they get together and feel very pleased with themselves and say, we are going to be this one great people who are going to make a city so we don't get scattered. And we're going to make a tower so that we can get a name for ourselves with its top in the heavens. And look how mighty and powerful and impressive we are. And God says... I'm angry with that because you are not scattering like I told you to and you're being self-important about your name. So he scatters them all over the world. He says, you guys are not going to have that. The unity you seek is for your glory, not anyone else's. So he scatters them. But then, immediately afterwards in Genesis chapter 12, he speaks to Abraham and he says, you are just, you're an ordinary guy, but I have chosen you and in you, inside you, all the nations will come together and get blessed. That's the promise he makes to Abraham. And then he starts, as the rest of the scriptural story unfolds, he begins to pull some of these nations together, often in ones and twos. So he picks up individuals, and we saw this when we went through the... Some of you may remember me throwing a tube of Smarties around, because there were all sorts of people from all sorts of different nations and people groups who end up being included, and they get gathered together one at a time. But then as the book of Acts begins... 
you find them all being brought together, not just to be near each other, but to be within Abraham's family. So Abraham's descendant is Jesus. And he is the one in whom all of the other nations are going to find blessing. And actually, that's really what the book of Acts is. As we've walked through it in this series, we've seen all kinds of examples. So Steve was preaching on Acts 8, where we find a Samaritan village and an Ethiopian eunuch coming to meet Jesus and becoming part of Abraham's family. And then, the week, then I, I spent some time, I was looking at some North African and Asian people who'd been brought into the people of God as part of a leadership in a city called Antioch in Syria. And then Hillary and Roberta were speaking, and they were talking about a Gentile Roman centurion, and he got added into the people of God. And then Joel Edwards was with us, and he was talking about a persecutor of the church whose name was Saul, and he was added into the people of God. And then we saw Owen and Phil, we saw people from what's now Turkey and Ephesus and Galatia, and they were added into the people of God. And so, not only are these people groups standing near each other, but they've actually started to become one. A multicolored one, yes, but they've become one. But the thing is, as Acts finishes, there are a few left. In fact, there's many thousands left. And that the story of Acts doesn't actually have a proper conclusion. It doesn't finish with, and then the gospel reached the ends of the world, the end. Woo-hoo! You have to wait to Revelation for that. In Acts, it kind of ends in the middle of the story. And the mission of the church continues until all of those nations come in. And so you find as the book of Acts is con- concluding, Paul is still eager to get on to Spain. And we find out then, of course, yes, Spain does get reached. And then you find people start going on to Persia. And then they go on to France. And they go to India and Britain and Sudan and China and Ghana and Japan and Brazil and Samoa. And they keep going and they keep going. And all of those colors come together into one united people of God. And one day the reach of the gospel and the diversity of the people of God, the number of colors in this, will be so great that it will literally be impossible to imagine. So even if you're John and you can see it, you just have to admit... I saw a crowd, and I have no idea how many people were there, but it was so diverse and so multicolored that I couldn't even mention it. That's where history's going. That's the vision of diversity that God has of all of those nations worshipping God and the Lamb. And that is why I think a diverse church here in London is glorious and wonderful, but ultimately it's too small as a full representation of the diversity of the heart of God. There are around 13,000 people groups on planet Earth. People groups being a group of people whose language or culture means that they would effectively need, if you're going to talk, speak the gospel to them, they would, you'd need to translate either your language or your culture or both in order to do that. About 13,000. 6,000 of those people groups are marked as unreached today. That is, there is no church in their culture that can replicate itself without outside help. So this is a map, if you like, of how the gospel's going. And even if you can't read the key at the bottom, it's the standard kids thing. Green means go. Okay, so green means the gospel has a good ground in this culture. doesn't mean everyone's Christian, because that's never true of a culture. But the gospel is established and significant in shaping that culture. And then yellow means either the gospel is very formative here, or the church is almost entirely nominal, as in people say they're Christians, but they aren't really. And then in the red, it means these areas are the unreached or the least reached areas. There is no church here that can replicate itself without help from another people group, like Britain, for the sake of argument. 
So that is where the gospel is at the moment. This is from the Joshua Project. And there are 13,000 people groups on earth, 6,000 of which are unreached by that definition. Now, obviously, the big ones, most of the ones we know of, most of the largest people groups are to some degree reached. But a lot of the world live in parts where they are simply, there is no credible gospel witness for them. And of the, so I said 13,000 peoples, 6,000 unreached. 1,500 of them are unengaged, which means no Christians, no missionaries. In 1,500 different people groups on earth, who simply, even if you tried to, if they wanted to go to church, they couldn't. If they wanted to find out about Jesus, they would have to leave their people group to find out about him. And that sometimes happens, as many of us know stories of that kind of thing. And Jesus wants all of them, right? All of the peoples, not the 6,000 or 7,000 we've already reached, all of them. All the families on earth, he said to Abraham. All the tribes, peoples, and languages is what John saw. So the Bible is bookended, if you like, with statements about the allness of the people of God. I want every single one. I don't just want these flags. I want the tens of thousands of people groups behind the flags, all of whom must be represented in this diverse international worshipping community that John saw in Revelation 7. Imagine I asked you to look after my children. And I've got three kids and I said, can you look after my kids? He said, yeah, yeah, fine. And I go off to the shop, and I come back two hours later, and there's two of them left. And I look at you, and I say, that's interesting. I had three when I left. And they say, oh, yeah, we've got two of them. I mean, one of them just wandered. They were quite inconvenient to go and get. They were a long way off, so I just kind of left them. I hope that's okay. But with these two, look at them. They're playing beautifully. How, look how integrated they are. Look at how diverse they are together. And at that point, I think something in me was saying, what are you talking about? I wanted them all. I don't just want some of my kids. I want all of them. And the fact that these guys are playing well doesn't compensate for the loss of that one. Jesus wants them all. He does. He doesn't just want us to play together, which is great that we do. Praise God, I want my kids to play together. God wants his family to be integrated. I'm not making light of that at all. But God wants them all. He wants every single one of them. He wants all tribes, all clans, all families, all peoples. And he keeps banging on about it so that we get it. Jesus wants them all. People will come from east and west and north and south and take their seats at the table in the kingdom of God. Everyone is invited. That's his heart. And I think it's even bigger than ours. Now, I don't have time to get into all the implications of that in the next few minute, next five minutes. What we're going to do is in just a few minutes, we're going to look at a video that pulls some of these themes together and hopefully helps us see in a different way God's vision for an international worshipping community. Missionary and church planting organizations will often say, if somebody says, so what am I supposed to do about that? Well, they will often just condense it to three words and say, can you pray, give, or go? Right? Can you go to one of these places? And if you can't, can you pray or can you give? That's a good place to start. But actually, I think that even if we never leave London, we can play our part in fulfilling God's vision for a globally diverse church. Partly that's because we are part of a large church here, and this church is connected in to an international family of churches called New Frontiers, which has 1,500-odd churches in 70 nations. And many of the red places on that map, we have churches, part of the family we're part of, that are trying to reach them. Some of us in the church have traveled to some of those areas on behalf of that movement and begun, and other movements, no doubt, and to try and help people who are trying to establish churches in those very unreached areas. That's a wonderful thing. So corporately, we can play our part even if a lot of individuals never go. 
But it's also worth saying that we can achieve that global vision without leaving London simply because London is such a diverse city. Right? Because diversity is about evangelism. It's about ordinary, everyday mission. And London is arguably the most diverse city on earth. I googled it this last week. I was really annoyed, actually, because I googled most diverse cities, or I think that was the word I used, most diverse cities on earth, and London was in the top ten, but it was second. I was like, that's rubbish. I hate being second. Second is worse than being 11th. It's like losing a cup final. It's like you're nearly there, and then you're not. And then I looked, and I was like, I wonder who came first, and it was Amsterdam. I was like, seriously, the Dutch? This cannot be right, until I realized that the top ten was in alphabetical order. I was like, that doesn't count. You can't be top because you begin with an A. That's ridiculous. So I'm going to conclude that had they done it by diversity, London would have won. Or at any rate, London is one of the most, if not the most, diversity on earth. And so for us to simply invite the people around us will necessarily mean that even if we're not trying to, we will engage with a number of those nations just by sharing and inviting the people around us. We don't just want diversity among the peoples in the church, friends, do we? We want diversity amongst the peoples who are not yet in the church, who wouldn't know a church if they sat on one because they've got no access to understand what that word would mean. And it's when they are invited in, in many cases, in ordinary life, around us so we don't just have to always go across the world sometimes we just have to go across the street but as we do we are inviting the nations to participate in this vision of a global multi-ethnic massive multitude that God is calling together from every nation and in a minute as I say we're going to conclude by watching a video and then by breaking bread together but I want to conclude with this often circumstances can mean that you and I, for good reasons, are unable to go to the ends of the earth on mission. There are often reasons why that's true in our lives, and they are okay. That's true in my life at the moment. It's true in a number of hours. So I find it hugely encouraging that the book of Acts ends with a person in exactly that situation. The final few verses of the book of Acts are taken up with a man who has a passion for the nations. In fact, I think you'd be hard-pressed to argue that anybody had a greater passion for the nations than the Apostle Paul in history. But the book of Acts ends with him stuck in one place. He's under house arrest. He cannot leave the building, let alone the state he's in or the city he's in or the country. But how does he respond to the fact that he's been hidebound in this particular place, unable to move, unable to go towards that physical vision he wants? He does this, Acts 28.30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul didn't stop inviting people even when he was under arrest. Can you imagine what a nightmare this guy must have been for people who didn't want the gospel to spread? He didn't care where he was. He would say, I may not be able to go, but I will invite and preach and teach about Jesus. Why? Because he had been captivated by the vision that God gave to Abraham, all nations on earth will be blessed through you, and captivated by the vision that John saw, all tribes, all peoples, all languages, worshipping the Lamb and never experiencing suffering ever again. And he lived bookended by that vision and challenged to reach for it even when he couldn't physically leave the house because he was ruined for anything less. Everyone, north, south, east, west, all nations, all tribes, peoples, everyone is invited. Amen? We're going to watch this video which I hope will help bring some of those things together and then we're going to break bread.